Welcome to the Cockney Guide to Enlightenment podcast with me, Stephen Rosen. This is a place where we have deep conversations and find out what really makes people tick. I've been through a very deep journey in my own life from being a a nine-year-old in the early 70s selling stolen shoes down at Brick Lane to uh, a 22-year-old standing in a hotel room surrounded by drugs and bags of money uh, with uh, war in Lebanese militia. I have seen some interesting times in life and I changed all of that round and became a very successful businessman in the city of London and found that there was something missing. So this podcast is about going deeper underneath the surface of what we might think that we need in life. There's a rich uh, quality of life that we all can tap into and sometimes we have to just dig a bit deeper. So my story was lost in the Babylon. It's actually on Amazon now. I hope you enjoy this podcast. If you do, please uh, share it with your friends. Please subscribe or just follow. And you can connect with me at Cockney Profit on social media. Let us know what you think of it and enjoy this episode. Welcome back to part two of the Cockney Guide to Enlightenment podcast with me, Stephen Rosen, and my guest, Harry Harris. If you're just checking in and you haven't heard the first part of this, please put this on pause, check out the first part, and then come back and enjoy this episode. And I think having that awareness and starting to understand that, that has helped me as well. Because mm. it's, it's like, you know... Do you I might... think, you know, they're designed to keep us in our place, those, yeah. those structures oh, and systems? Doubt. Yeah, yeah without, well, you can see it now, you know, you can you can... What, what I find really frustrating, actually, is, you know, my mum, who I love dearly and, you know, has, has not only brought me into this world, but, you know, has probably when I was, you know, really depressed and that saved my life. When, when the Brexit stuff was going on, you know, she um, she just didn't want to listen to what I was saying, you know, speaking to her. And again, it's not that, you know, I know what's right, but I had a certain opinion about the Tories and what was happening. Mm. And what felt like to me that you know there was there was a there was a there was an attack going on on the working class here. And my mum would say to me, "Oh, I like Boris." Right? I'd say, "Well, what do you like about him?" She'd, "Oh, you know, he's quite funny and he's honest and stuff like that." <laughs> but he would have been yeah, right that, down the pub what, in a conversation, <laughs> wouldn't he? <it? laughs> you know, it, that's all right for people in the Green Man or something, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Or, or or in Peliches, like having a conversation, yeah. but. You know, th- think about your grandchildren's future or your children's future. Like, you know, I might want to go and sort of, you know, live in Amsterdam or Berlin or somewhere like that. If this happens, that's not that's not going to be able to happen, right? And also from doing the the world documentaries and having an understanding of that, you know, I always thought because I went to so many lectures about the Brexit um, debate, you know, I always thought this was a this was a matter of security for Europe as well. You know, we've got mm. to be stronger together rather than being divided and she just couldn't hear it she she didn't want to hear it and then you know now she she you know she she moans about brexit right and i'll say to her but you voted for it and again it's like she it's almost like this denial and i think for us what's interesting you know we are getting older now i i you know one of the things i always come back to is is the cost of living right because when we were younger it wasn't an issue to get somewhere to live you know people squatted and did all sorts of things but I, you know, I left home at 18, got a flat, you know, in Bethnal Green, £12 a week, my rent was. Yeah. You know, and that was a secure tenancy in a housing association. And then I bought a flat for 17 grand. You know, and when I talk to my daughters about this, it's almost like they can't comprehend it. Right. And I think, you know, because I mentioned earlier, you know, I was earning the same money more or less when I was 24 driving a cab as cab drivers are earning now. Mm. So, and and these are, decisions policy decisions that are made when it comes to housing you know by corporations and the banking system lack of housing social housing being built by not only the Tories but Labour government as well it's not been invested in that keeps people stuck in their place so politics is really important to me I I, I did go through a period of being sort of quite left-wing militant and that's as bad as being a right-wing fascist right because it it all joins together but I think that there is uh, that you know there is there is a social contract con- contract that has been broken, and I think working class people sadly are often the victims of policies that are being made, which they think are in their favour that, that go against them. 
Yeah, there's always agendas, hidden agendas under always. everything. I think. Yeah. And and I mean, I'm 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 not political, but I I kind of view our system now as as just being it's probably the best that we've we can come up with, but it doesn't work because no. there's no long term view in it mm. other than hidden agendas and, and personal interests, you know. It's not working. The system's certainly not working now. It's working for some people. You know, it, it, what's really interesting is, you know, there are there's this huge gap now in inequality. Some people are so wealthy they don't know what to do with their money and other people have literally got nothing, you know, the food banks and things like that. But I think part of being a therapist as well is helping to understand that everything happens in a context mm. and also having a, a, an understanding of, the unconscious right because often people do things that might not be in their best interest but they're just not conscious of it and you know freud came up with this idea that which was revolutionary at the time that there is an unconscious and jung come up with this idea of a collective unconscious and before that marx was trying to wake up the working class right because you know he, he from a kind of analytical historical perspective he could see that there was this power structure that was going on that was not in the interest of the working class people you know the, the, the factories in manchester in the mid-19th century or the boundary estate you know you look at the mm. poverty it's not that you know we're not born to 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 be to be poor right mm. either financially or intellectually but if your environment is not supporting you to grow you're just going to stay the same and there are forces sadly that want people to stay the same because every, every economy needs workers yeah yeah so marx was saying you know wake up right you know become conscious and freud was saying the same thing it's like you know if, if you think of the way that people with mental illnesses were being treated in the early 20th century it was barbaric you know or in the 19th century people were being chained up you know you go to bedlam and look at people who are mm. crazy early 20th century wasn't that much better you know people were being treated with all sorts of outrageous um treatments because they were mentally ill supposedly mentally ill and what freud said was that you know these people that are hysterical especially women if you just listen to them slowly stuff will be revealed which will show why they're being this way and what he found especially with lots of the women that he was treating um was that they were sexually abused you know because trauma trauma yeah what's consciousness to you today i mean because i mean it's a big theme for me consciousness and, and literally i'm conscious of of most things now yeah and and very conscious of becoming quickly unconscious as well just yeah. in thought patterns and stuff like that and getting lost well consciousness for me is being able to have this conversation with you right now and also understanding that i have limitations it's a strange thing and i think it happens to a lot of people as we get older we we realize that you know we're quite ignorant really there's so much that we don't know you know absolutely i think the more I understand the less I know, definitely, absolutely. Which goes right the way back to Socrates, because he said, you know, I'm wise because I know that I don't know, you know. And I think when we're younger, we're full of ego and we feel threatened unless we feel like we have to have an opinion on something or we know something. Um, And I think slowly we we come to realise if we're at all self-reflective and and awake and we're conscious that there's a lot that we don't know. But I think, you know, conscious... I I think Freud had this, you know, incredible idea which wasn't original, but the way that he formulated was that, you know, the mind is split into three, right? You've got your conscience, which, which he called ego, <clears throat> or other people have called ego. You've got your superego, and you've got your unconscious. Now, you know, your consciousness is like, you know, we are born conscious, we're awake when we come into the world, but we don't know nothing. We're just infants, right? We, we just feel, mm. you know, a, a young child is totally dependent on its um, parents or the people looking after it to survive. So it just feels, and then it slowly develops an awareness of itself and the world through other people. So we develop our conscious mind. So the desire to be fed, to be changed and all that, an infant can do, but it's got no critical faculty. Do you think that's where the ego develops? Develops, yeah. And and becomes more dominant in that system? Yeah, so a child will have a big ego, and you you can see that now. You know, we, we often talk about people being narcissistic, but if you're around young children, you know, they're the centre of the world, right? Yeah. You know, I've got two young grandchildren now and, you know, love them more than anything. And it's really challenging, right? Because it's like, you know, they know, well, the oldest one, she knows best, right? She's five, but she knows everything. Yeah. 
and uh, which is great because that's what you have to do. You know, you have to develop your ego, and then slowly you start to get let down, right? Because you go to school, and then what Freud said happens is that the, the reality principle kicks in, which is you are not the center of the world. There's this great idea by this um, British psychoanalyst called Donald Winnicott, who he was a pediatrician before he became an analyst. So he spent like you know years with small babies and children mm. and mothers and families, and he said that you know a, a small child doesn't think that it's come into the world from its mother; it thinks it's created the world. It thinks it's created the mother, right? Right. Which you can sort of see that, right? When you know to have that imagination to take that kind of creative leap and go, yeah, I can see because that's what's happening, and slowly you know that the the reality principle comes in. And we start to be challenged. Now, what, what Freud said as well is that, you know, there's another way you can think about the ego, which is, you know, the, the ego as well is a very kind of yes thing, right? Like coming from the mother, because everything is provided for. You know, as a small infant, we get, if, if we're lucky, we get looked mm. after, we get fed, we get changed. There's some security. But then we start to hear no, and then that, that no develops the, the superego. And, and the superego is, is often the father. It's like, no, you can't do that. No, no, no. So we start to recognise that, oh, it's not, I'm, I'm not as powerful and as willful as I am because as much as I might want to do something, you know, dad can say no and I have to go to the bedroom or I can't watch the television after 8 o'clock or whatever it might mm. be. So then we start to develop this other part of the mind which he called the superego. And then all of our desires that are not being met things that we can't tolerate as well because young minds can't tolerate that much frustration or distress goes into the unconscious right because like, it's we forget about it but it's not like it's not happened it's there so that goes into the unconscious and the way that we see this now is um you know at a night when we have a dream because the ego is not in control right we have a dream yeah. about something it's like what's that about it's a, it might not mean anything but it can mean something so it shows us as well that there are these forces, there, there is something going on inside of us that is not just conscious. And, and we know through taking drugs mm. as well, you know, I, you know I, I, I can remember you when you were younger, right? You were quite outrageous, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I, lo lots of my memories I have of you when we were younger was, you know, you was just like this lovely guy and you used to make me laugh a lot, you know, <laughs> you was really, really funny. And there was a situation... Um, I think you crashed a car over Victoria Park yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And um, I think when the police come, you told them you was a stuntman. <laughs> I did, yeah. I was drunk as a sack as well. God knows how I didn't get nicked then. It was unbelievable, yeah. But, like, the creativity in that as well. Yeah. And, like, you know, when we was, you know, I used to, like, taking trips and that and, and you know, just losing myself in that mad, my own madness, like the psychosis of, of, of mm. taking a trip not having any awareness of like this could be dangerous it was just all funny you yeah. know or, or taking like loads of speed or loads of coke or whatever it might be going into a different state of consciousness or even being drunk you're going into a different state of consciousness then i suppose the consciousness that i'm i'm kind of thinking about now is 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 an awareness is a, yeah. is a much deeper awareness of being conscious and I, I look back to those those times and you know, though, you know, I, I don't think I was conscious then. I think I was no. completely unconscious. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's taken a lot of time to, to realise, you know, there's there's more more to me than these systems of, of coping that, yeah. I, that I'd created or, or, or that I'd kind of lived out. And and consciousness now is, uh, it's just, a, it's, it's that awareness of, of, of kind of knowing what's going on to the extent that it's visible, as we was talking earlier about that the kind of wounded child stuff, yeah, yeah. you know, being able to observe that without being in it. And, you know, you're coming from a position where you've studied a lot of this, you know, you've studied Freud, you've studied other, other kind of uh, classical uh, therapists, psychotherapists, and, and, and a lot of our understanding has been kind of gained from, from their knowledge or built mm. upon their knowledge. Mm. Do you see consciousness as just about understanding that, or is it deeper? Is there is there a like you know have, have we got access to something much much bigger than our own ability to recognise? You know, this is this is our human life, but you know maybe there's something deeper going on. Maybe you know there's a lot of stuff that we've got that is untapped, and obviously we've spoke about you know removing stuff. And for me, 
removing a lot of that stuff has given me access to different stuff you know mm. for instance you know sometimes seeing energy around people yeah you know i, I got I, you know i have that sort of stuff going on mm. and it's not and i see it around plants and stuff like that and and you know it's not constantly but it's an ability to to be conscious of a different level yeah. and i think I, I i wrote about coming out of the krishna temple in my book yeah. and, and seeing that which I can only now translate as as a deeper level of consciousness in in actually in the human form in in what was going on you know maybe I saw something underneath the skin and bones and yeah. and, and you know maybe the energy the life force whatever yeah. I mean is is consciousness you know does it does it stretch that that kind of far for you or is it just about the the learning process of of being what you was just discussing No yeah I think it does I think what you know just listening to what you're saying there is you know i'm sitting here right and i'm feeling hot the okay. sun's the sun's coming through right which which is fine I'm, I'm, I'm quite comfortable there's there's an energy coming from the sun coming through that skylight and i'm feeling hot i'm also feeling comfortable like i'm with you i feel safe you know so i think like it's not about only what we think it's how we feel and how we perceive things and i don't prescribe to any religion but I, I would consider myself a spiritual person. I'm still trying to work out what that means, really. It's more, for me, it feels more to do with coming to some kind of consciousness. Like I, I meditate every day, and I, you know, I recognise that there's so little control I have really over my thoughts, over my feelings. You know, I'm, I'm in this body um, that regulates itself. But I think also partly from my experience of taking acid and doing other things, you know, I've had experiences that are uncanny. You know, Freud wrote about this and Jung wrote about this and all the great religions sort of point towards this. Mm. And I think one of the great things about the 12 steps is that it's, it's a spiritual program that's spoken about. God is used a lot in the literature, which you know, I went through a, period of early recovery that was a big problem for me yeah it wasn't yeah. enough to turn me away um but there is undoubtedly you know powers and things going on outside of our awareness or even within our awareness if we become conscious of things one of you know, something that happened to me probably about 10 years ago now which was extraordinary and I, I won't be able to explain it i decided to have some um reiki mm. with this woman who that there's a story behind this as well, which is my my wife was going to, to see, I think she was having some physio and she knocked on this office in um, Finchley, at this address that she was given. And this woman opened the door and, and it wasn't the, the physio that the woman said, no, the physio's next door. And then she said to my wife, oh, I think we know each other. So my wife said, you know, where from? And it turned out that this woman, her, my wife was in this, you know, she's an actress, she was in this drama about these, these it was called the girls from Belarus, who was from Belarus, this family. They were actually from Russia, but the, the drama was set in Belarus. And at the time, her daughter, she was about six, but we, after the drama, which they, they filmed up north somewhere, this family come to London, and we took them out for dinner, this woman, her husband, and the daughter, and we had, we had a really good evening. But it was it was one of those things where it was like 10 years before, and my wife, oh yeah, you know, it's um, Katia, you know, she said, yeah, Lindsay. And she and my wife got talking to her. She said, I can do some physio and stuff like that as well, but I'm also a Reiki teacher. So she went in and she had some Reiki. And she said to me what an amazing thing was. So then I went along and uh, did some Reiki for a few days with this woman. And what really interested me from her, because I never really understood that much about it, but before she became a Reiki teacher, this woman, she was a Russian scientist, right? So she mm. wasn't just like a, someone who'd come out of the 60s and smoked a bit of weed and stuff. Yeah. Like she was mm. a physicist and her family was scientists. And she said that, you know, this, this, this thing works, right? You know, I'm a scientist, first of all. I've had I'm, Reiki. I've had some incredible experiences. And I'm a Reiki teacher yeah. now. Like, you just got to trust this is what we do. And, well, as you know, you know, they don't put any hands on you or anything, but there's just this energy, talking about energy. So for the first couple of days I was talking, I didn't really feel that nothing was happening, but I felt, as I said, like feeling with you, it was nice to reconnect with this woman. It just felt nice. And it was almost just like a, a time to, you know, it felt like I was doing something self-healing anyway. So I think it was on the third day she she said to me, you know, what how you feeling and what's coming to mind. And I spoke a little bit about my brother, right? And I was struggling with him at the time, but you know, because he's been in out of prison and long term heroin user, 
mental health problems and stuff like that. And and she said to me, you know, maybe that's he's because he's been on that journey, you've not had to go that way. It was something like that, right? And it switched something inside of me. All of a sudden, I felt gratitude, right? And for, mm. for Albert, I thought, like, you know, he's, he's suffering going through that. And not in any kind of spiteful way, but it's just like, well, he's going that. Not to undermine my own kind of struggle in that, but, you know, that's been his path. And maybe he, by him doing that, I've not had to do that. And I think one of the things that kept me away from being a, a heroin addict and using heroin... Um, so I did use it a, a, a couple of times. And then I just had this thought, because, you know, we were so young. And my mum was a single mum at the time. I just thought, she can't have two sons or a heroin addicts. I can really remember just yeah. that thing. And I just thought, I can't go that route. And fortunately... A very I, conscious I it was fault. A very conscious, a very conscious fault, choice. Right? Yeah. yeah, she can't have two sons or a heroin yeah. addicts. And and so Albert sort of saved me going down that route at that point. And, and, and then during this Reiki... It was it was so strange what happened, Steve, because I was laying there and I, it was like all of a sudden I had the aurora borealis going on around my legs. Yeah. Right, I could really see this green swirling energy going up and down my body and around my head. And and she said, "Can you feel that?" I said, "I can." She's God, that's so powerful, right? Mm. And I can sort of feel it now as I'm talking because the energy is changing inside of my body. That was uh, an extraordinary experience as well as other experiences that I've had. And, you know, when we have these kind of conversations, we open up, again, a, a part of ourselves, a consciousness, and allow something to come in. Or it doesn't. You know, we can block things. But, of course, there is certainly stuff that's going on that, you know, just it, from a rational point of view, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. And I think it's very difficult to translate some of these experiences into this language. Yeah. Really difficult. I yeah. find when I'm writing and... Some of the stuff that I've experienced, you know, you take your best shot at putting it in, into a language that people yeah. understand. But yeah, I mean, and listening to you, you know, you explaining that, you know, it sounds totally normal and absolutely mm. credible to me. You know, I've had my own experiences, and and it's it's like this stuff's accessible. Mm. It's accessible, but you know, you need to be have done a certain amount of connection with yourself to to access it and what a great yeah. way to meet that right and nothing's yeah. you know everything's synchronicity isn't it yeah, you yeah. Know? everything yeah. happens for a reason and uh yeah go on yeah i mean sorry to just disrupt your sort of flow there but just incredible you know incredible to uh be sitting here talking to ari aris who we went to dank together <laughs> we drunk in a pub and talked bollocks together and all the rest of it <laughs> to be sitting here talking about you know these experiences <laughs> i think that's why i like smoking weed because you, you could have these extraordinary conversations right i might have been total you know bollocks yeah, or whatever yeah. But, you know, I can remember sort of, you know, listening to sort of Bob Marley and going down Sandringham Road and being with the Rasters and, you know, talk, talking about God or spirituality or what it might be. And I think you're right. I think it is difficult to put into language, especially, like, you know, when you're stoned or you're high or something, you can do that, right? But mm. to do it sober is, is another thing. But I think what you're doing now, you know, the, the Cockney Prophet podcast and the book is so important because hopefully... You know, people won't, they might do, who, who knows? It's not that, you know, we're we're on a mission to, to, to save or change anybody, but through having conversations like this, someone might hear it and, and not go down that destructive path. Mm. They might be able to get in touch with, you know, their higher self uh, in a way that is just being inspired through hearing a conversation or reading a book, you know, reading your book, whatever it might be. Because it does happen. There's a, there's a poet who I really like, a guy called David White, who's an extraordinary uh, human being. And he often talks about how we never know the ripple effects of our actions or conversations. You know, he said you might yeah. have a conversation with someone at a bus stop. It might change their life. Like, you're never going to know. That. I mean, that's a beautiful thing and I love yeah. it. And that's like when, when I, we were talking about, you know, going back to your, your kind of understanding your resistance to writing your memoir. You know, when I was writing my memoir, you know, all of that stuff was coming up. And it was like, you know, once I do this and release it, and then I, I'm unattached to it. And so wherever yeah. it goes, it goes. And where it lands, it lands. And, yeah. you know, and, it, and I, I think that's part of that process of, of that authenticity and that giving is, is like, it, it's, it's unattached. Yeah. It doesn't have to, you know, have a result. And, and quite often you, you never know, you know, 
we never know what people might make of this conversation. You know, hopefully yeah. they'll subscribe as well, some of them. But, <laughs> but you know, it's it's like that. And I think I think yeah. that's just so exciting and so beautiful that you know people will just take stuff and and you can just plant that seed. I suppose it's like you know recovery in a way that when people come into the rooms or people come for help and you know and they might not get it then but you've you might have planted a seed just by yeah. you know what you've said or or how you've conducted yourself yeah no absolutely I, I think this format is so exciting because you know you're you've got all the technology here right you know you don't you don't need like a bbc recording studio to to produce something that's going to be interesting entertaining um, mm. that you know might spark something in other people you know I, I, I listen to quite a lot of podcasts i think it's such a great format um i for the last couple of years i've been working on this project with um a friend of mine sophie gibson who, I, who worked with uh, the violence initiative which is the project that i've mentioned earlier when i, yeah, I first, remember when you was doing that yeah when i first graduated um from being a therapist and um we you know we we got back in touch a few years ago because she was a person that was you know she's got a great energy and when i worked with her i i felt safe in a room she was clever intelligent very compassionate and she would bring an energy into a space and we've been working together on this project recently called looking at life and we've just been doing some groups with um chicken shed theater near where i live which is a, an amazing organization but just working with her and running these groups and bringing people into a space, different ages, but who want to change, mm. who have, have got something about them, they're curious, right? And I think, you know, having curiosity is, is so important. You know, if you're curious, you don't, you don't need to necessarily know what you're doing, right? But it's about showing up somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And um, what we've found is that, you know, running these groups and facilitating these groups, we do a bit of meditation, a bit of um, qigong, and then we just hold this space and see what happens. And, you know, like this conversation, we started to speak earlier before it. And last night, I was, you know, I picked your book up again. I started to read it a little bit. I started, I wasn't feeling anxious, but I just thought, no, I just want to remember some of the things that stayed with me from reading the book. And then this morning, I was feeling really anxious coming out, right? And I was going to see, you know, our friend Paul before we come in, and, and he's not been very well recently, so I was a bit anxious about that. I wasn't sure what I was going to meet. And then I don't consider myself being an anxious person, right? But of course I am, like we all are. You know, that's part of being human. But what I recognise is that I have all of these sort of thoughts and feelings about things, but I don't let them stop me from doing mm. something. So, you know, and I think with, with you writing the book, as, as you know, you know, lots of writers, especially writers of literature, and Freud was a prolific writer, you know, he, he won the, um, or was nominated for the Nobel Prize in Literature, not Psychology, because he was just a phenomenal writer. But what he was doing in his writing and what lots of writers do is they just show up. Right? They just show yeah. up and then allow their unconscious to come through on the page because if you show up, something will happen. Um, and I think that is the opposite of being in control. Like, you know, I have controlling issues. I never thought I did. Yeah. But I, but I, I recognise that I can't control what is going to come out of someone else's mouth, what's going to come into someone else's mind. And meditation has really helped with that because I don't even, I can't even control what goes on in my own mind. <laughs> I start to have these thoughts. It's just like, where is that coming from? Yeah, you know, but it doesn't scare me anymore, and it doesn't stop me from living, um, because we've only got now. This is it, it right? absolutely in the present moment. And yeah. yeah, I mean, it's lovely to hear about that 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 work that you're doing at the moment. As yeah. I was just talking, I said, you know, I've done that workshop that I've done myself based around the book, but you yeah. know, digging deeper, and uh, it's just incredible stuff to, to to you know to put this stuff together, not really knowing what's going to what yeah. the outcome is, and and just allowing that to be. And, yeah. and that's enough, isn't it? That's enough. No, it is. Did you ever do the warrior groups? No, I didn't do any of that sort of stuff. No. Right. Yeah. I've no. been, been a, a lone wolf, really, even, you know, I kind of, yeah, you know, all kind of, not through my recovery, but I've, you know, I've always kind of just done my own thing, you know, just kind yeah. of done my own thing. But yeah, I'm in a men's circle now and uh, I can see the benefit massively of that. But, you know, I know uh, other people who've done that. Yeah. Well, I, ne I never did the, the Warriors. Um, and I, I, I heard people talking about it. But I did. I, I say I didn't do it. I did. I, I went to Chicago a few years ago and part participated in um, the Mankind Project, which is what the Warriors is. Yeah. That's, that's the kind of foundation of it. 
And that came about through, have you seen the film The Work? No. It's, it's a fantastic film. So it's about, it's about the Mankind Project and the work they do in a, a prison in, in America. Um, but they do work in lots of prisons and, and different projects. But I saw that film and I'd really, you know, recommend you to watch it. I oh, think, watch I it, think yeah. you'd love it, actually, especially doing the men's groups and what you're doing now. I think it might have even won an Academy Award Best Documentary or something. It's probably about six years old. And I saw this film and, you know, you, you got, I, I didn't know it was The Warriors then and The Mankind Project. And it's so moving because you've got these, these guys who are um, lifers in America. And then you've got these other guys who go in there and civilians as well who do these workshops over like four days. And they really get into some heavy stuff, mm. you know. And it's like, it, 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 it's so powerful, like following them through this journey. And then I, I was working in this treatment centre and this guy said to me, have, have you seen um, the work? And I said, yeah. He said, I'm going out to Chicago to do some work with those guys. Do you fancy coming? And I didn't hesitate. I said, yeah, you know, great. That'd be amazing. And it happened really quick. It was like two weeks later he was going, you know, so I booked my flight, signed up for it. And they were quite rigorous as well because, you know, they wanted to know who you are before you go in there. Yeah, and, obviously, you know, All yeah. of that stuff for their, for their safeguarding and that. But anyway, it happened very quick. Then I found myself in, in Chicago and um, it, was, it was in this place. It was like on a, it was an ex-army barracks or something. It was, and it was really hardcore. And, I, you know, I'd seen the film and I'd done a lot of work on myself. And I knew a few of the people in the fellowship who'd done the warrior, so I was sort of prepared for it. But there were some people there that weren't that prepared for it and had not done a lot of work on themselves. You know, people who were quite a bit younger. A lot of guys do it who come out of prison or were in the projects in Chicago, and they were, you know, really getting triggered and being. Yeah, but, but that that was a lot transformative experience for me. And I think because there, there was me and this other guy that made the trip from London, and you know, because we had a different accent and, you know, we, they were curious, like, why we'd come all this way to, even though the film had just come out, why we was there. Uh, and we were then split up into groups and, and, and the group that I was in, they made me the leader of their group, right? So you've got this, so it was a, it was a bit like a, a hardcore process of like some kind of weird reality TV game where you go on these challenges and to do things, yeah. you know? So it tested you sort of physically, mentally and spiritually as well. And there, there was one exercise on the first night and um, I felt like I'd let my team down a little bit because I'd been made leader in that. But we, we, we went out and it was snowing, right? It was freezing cold, middle of the woods and we were naked, right? Blindfolded. And I just thought, what the fuck, fuck this? <laughs> like, you know, I was with all these big black guys. Like, they were young. I thought, you can do this when you're young. I'm too old for that now. And I just said, fuck this, I'm not doing it, you know? And uh, took my took my mask off and like you know walk back into the cabin and they put blankets over me and all of that but actually i was looking after myself you know and i was pleased i do that and some of the other guys as well said like god you know respect to you not you know what, just what, saying yeah no. what was the what's the point of that well it was a breaking down process okay you know and um they didn't break me down but i just thought you know this i'm not gonna fucking die to prove a point you know yeah, yeah. that bit like that thing of like being tortured and not being a grass it's just that yeah, like, i know yeah. my limitations now yeah. But there were some so other you've things. You've also got the ability to override that yeah. stuff yeah. And, 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 and self-care and self-love. A absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But it was an extraordinary experience. And, you know, a lot. some of it was psychological. Like when we first got there, like, you know, again, we had to strip off, took everything off the earth. And it was intimidating because, you know, it was, it was a time of Trump. It was in the middle of nowhere and it felt a bit rednecky as well. Mm. And, you know met at the gate you know is it is it kind were, of designed as like a rite of passage or something like that it's a hero's journey right okay it's very much based around joseph campbell's hero's journey you're going in there so you start off you go into you know the hell kind of state yeah and the first thing we did we went into this room and they just left us in there a good few hours and no one was allowed to speak and i'm all right with that you know i just found it quite interesting yeah. But other people found that very difficult. Yeah, I mean, people were climbing the walls, not yeah, being yeah. able to speak. Yeah, yeah, it, it, and you know, because all sorts of um, things start happening in your mind. But I did that, and 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 that was an extraordinary thing. And it also made me think about—I don't know if you're familiar with um, uh, Dante, the Divine Comedy. No. So D Dante, you know, was this uh, Venetian—not Venetian. Not Venetian I, um, I'm familiar with Dante. Yeah, yeah, so he's from yeah. Florence. Wrote this poem. 
he's like the Italian Shakespeare mm-hmm. of, of, of going into hell, basically, right, and then coming yeah. out the other side in a different layer. Dante's Inferno, is Dante's it? Dante's Inferno, yeah. 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 And he, he, he has this um, guide, you know, Virgil, so it's like out of Homer, the, the Odyssey. And it's sort of based around that as well. But, you know, I, I'm familiar with the Divine Comedy and Homer and Joseph Campbell and all that. So it really helped me having all of that information going into this place. But still, it, it was a challenge. And um, I never, I've never signed up for it because part of doing that is they want you to sign up then to become facilitators. Right, yeah. uh, and the guy that I did it with, he, he did do that. And there was a part of me that thought, yeah, I, I would quite like to do that. But then I wasn't sure if it was just my ego wanting to be facilitating these groups. And I just let go of it. But it's another one of those things where... I took myself out of my comfort zone, went and did something, you know, so, so pleased that I did it. But again, it was by chance. It was just the guy saying to me, like, do you want to do this thing? You know, we, we show up for That's life. That's quite courageous, isn't it? You know, he's talking yeah. about courage earlier. Yeah. <laughs> just to, uh... if, but if you think about, I think it's all right to be a bit mad. Yeah, yeah. You know, because to be creative, you need to be a bit mad and you need to have a lot of courage. And... Um, I mentioned Donald Winnicott earlier, you know, one of these things as well is that, you know, it's, it's all right. You want to be a bit mad, you know, because that's where the creativity, that's where the playfulness is. Mm. That's where the joy is. Um, and I think, you know, all, all of these things are, are what make us human. And it's not like we have to reinvent the wheel. It's just like, you know, I haven't got the answer to things, nor have you. We can have these conversations and we can mention, you know, films, books, certain ideas, and then other people might be curious and think, oh, yeah, I'll have a look at that. You know, like looking at your bookshelf there. Like, you know, you've got a great selection of books. I, you know, my, my house is like a library. I love reading and mm. learning. I grew up in a house, there was no books. There was like none. Yeah. You yeah. know, I think my granddad bought us the Guinness Book of Records one year. You know, it was just like, oh, you know, that's amazing. We used to get the Beano and the Dandy. <laughs> yeah, well, we didn't even <laughs> have that. You know, um, so... Like there's there's so much out there, you know, so much culture, you know, spiritual, like music. You know, you write about music in your in your book, and uh, I loved music. You know, I can I can remember you know Nicky Wakeman, you know, singing mm. in the Seabright, and you know hanging around with him, and and you know going to music shops and just I, that that was one of the things that I did get growing up. You know, my mum and dad. You know, my mum was nineteen when she had me. You know, she was a teenage mum and a, and a kid. She always loved music. You know, my granddad used to play the piano in pubs. He loved music. We all had, we always had music on in our house. You know, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, or jazz, or my dad liked Lou Rolls. And you know, when he when he was did his national service, he was playing the clarinet and stuff. But he was he was also you know a young man, and you know, he was alcoholic. My dad, you know, to go back to our childhoods. You know, that's not something I've spoken about publicly, but my, my dad was an alcoholic and it affected us as kids. We didn't know it at the time. Um, and he tried to get sober shortly before he died, went to AA for a bit, didn't really do it, never managed it. But it's only with hindsight and reflection I can see that, you know, whether it was my nan's schizophrenia, my dad's alcoholism, the culture that we grew up in. It was, it was a loving environment, but it's not the kind of experience and upbringing that my kids have had. Yeah. Or that your kids have had and it's I th- totally different and I think the thing is that you know we, we look at well I look at my parents and I'm sure you look at your parents and you know perspective that they're just they was fallible human beings yeah. doing the best with what they was equipped with yeah. and uh, yeah. you know that, that kind of that forgiveness I was talking to someone last night funny enough and she's she's uh, in a different country and uh, she's trying to change her life she's a doctor but she's kind of in the process of kind of coming away from the kind of relationship, the working relationship she's in. And a, a friend of hers has, uh, has kind of called into question. You know, she said, I'm going to do this, I'm changing it. And a friend has called into question, you know, which is is is, is kind of, she's really angry about, you know, and, and the friend's tried to call her a couple of times and she's blanked her. And, and I kind of, I was having this conversation, she said, uh, you know, I, I need your, your opinion on this, you know, yeah. what, what, what do you think? So... So I said, well, you're really angry, aren't you? You know, you're obviously very angry because, you know, she's not answering the calls to his lifelong friend who they talk about a lot of stuff. And uh, so I said, well, once you kind of get through that anger and you kind of work yeah. through that and let go of it, 
you know, you're probably going to be hurt underneath that, maybe, yeah. possibly. You know, you've yeah. been hurt because you feel like you're making a real big change in your life and you'd like her maybe to support you. And I'm saying, I'm, I'm not saying that this is accurate, but I'm just saying, let, listen to this scenario of what's going on. And, uh, and she's like, yeah, yeah. So, you know, underneath that, there might be some hurt that you need to address. You can't kind of, you know, point it all at her and say she's done this or she said this, you know. So I said, like, you know, take stock of your own stuff. And then, then we got to forgiveness. And I said, you know, maybe, you know, you might want to forgive this lifelong friend for saying the wrong thing at yeah. the wrong time. And, uh, yeah. and, and, and she was kind of like on the journey. And then she was like, oh, yeah, I can see what's, what's going on for me here, you know. And I can see, you know. But it's just that process, isn't it, of kind of getting through the initial stuff that we can get stuck with and, and we could get stuck with it for life, you know. Especially when, when it comes from, you know, what we didn't get out of life, what we didn't get from our parents, you know. And, and then kind of, you know, looking at, like, how that's affected us and how yeah. we've been hurt and owning that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then getting to that part where we actually, you know, we've got compassion and for yeah. the people who, who was doing what they was doing the best they could. And then that forgiveness. And I think that, mm. and I was saying to her, you know, it's a two-way street, you know. It's like forgiveness is a flow and it, it mm. comes and goes. And, and, and we left the conversation and, you know, I was kind of like, I said, you know, it's, it's nothing to do with me. I'm just yeah. giving you kind of a perspective on it. But yeah. and I think that you know she kind of, yeah, she she kind of got into that process of ah, I'm stuck at the top of this stuff for the moment, mm. you know, with the anger bit. Yeah, because you know I feel like I'm really making some big changes in life, and she is. Mm. You know, she probably would have liked her friend to to go. Oh, well done. Not oh, you've yeah. said this several times before and yeah. never acted on it. You know, yeah. so. Yeah, it's just interesting, isn't it? People's processes. Yeah, no, it it really is, and and it's complicated, and, it, and it's hard to listen, right? You know, one one of the things that you have to really you know pay attention to and, and learn how to do training to be a therapist is to listen, like to listen to other people, but to listen to yourself as well. Mm. And it sounds quite simple, but it's really hard. And I know it's a it, it is a skill, and I'm getting better at it as I'm getting older, and the more that I've sort of become conscious of how I listen. Because we get triggered all the time by certain things. And, you know, in a, in a conversation, someone will say something and you'll come and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I can relate to that. Or have you thought about this or whatever it might be. Um, but to be able to actually bear our own frustration and, and to, to listen to people in a way that they feel like they're being listened to is, is not easy. It's complicated. Mm. You know, I think it's something that we could all sort of, you know, try to get better at is listening listening to each other, listening to ourselves. Because um, that's when change happens as well. You know, Because I think the, the thing with us as human beings, which is fascinating, unlike other animals, as far as we know, most animals anyway, is that we can become conscious of who we are yeah. and the world. And we can change. We can consciously change. Because whether we're aware of it or not, everything's always in flux and changing. You know, We are born and then we die. Right? We know that. But in between, there are different stages of life that we go through that facilitates and influences change. Everything is always changing, and we are always changing. And that gives me great hope, especially when I get really frustrated or feel a bit down about things. You know, the, 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 what's extraordinary is that I, never, I don't know if I'm an optimistic person. I'm more optimistic than pessimistic. But I don't get depressed and get caught up in things and get down about things in the way that I used to. No, because I just think like, well, things change. Mm. <laughs> That's probably lived experience, isn't it? And just, you know, yeah. opening up to, <laughs> to the fact that as, you know, getting back to what you were saying yeah. earlier, you woke up this morning and think, oh, yeah, I'm yeah. here. Yeah. Fantastic. It's brilliant. Yeah. And I love that serenity prayer, you know. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah. Such a beautiful prayer. Simple, yeah. isn't it? So simple. Yeah. And the 12 steps are as well. They're yeah. very simple. But we're complicated. So then we bring to it, when we first did the steps, would be very different from doing them again now. You mm. know, it's always a process. But it's a very solid framework. It's, it's a foundation, isn't it? And, and I think, you know, from my own experience, I've never, you know, every step that I've worked, you know, I've integrated into how I live. Mm. And, and that's what I was saying to you earlier. Letting go of that story was mm. like... A, you know, recognising there's a story that's yeah. intrusive thoughts have come in. Yeah. You know, it's come from somewhere inside. Yeah. It's turned into a thought process. 
and recognizing that and then immediately understanding my powerlessness over that that you know this is here i've not invited it in but it's there recognizing the powerlessness and then you know quite quickly thinking this is insane you know it's Mm. it's, it's just going to go round and round and round Mm. and it's going to turn into a big story so Mm -hmm. after recognizing that insanity in that fault and then you know what can i do with it i can like keep going or i can turn it over i can release it and that process comes from, you know, from the steps, from step one, two and three of mm. that 12-step program. Mm. But it's like I, I've in, internalised it to the process now when, you know, I see these faults coming up and it's like I can catch them like that and process yeah. them like that and let them go like that. Yeah. And and then obviously, you know, the recurring ones that that, that have, have a, a deeper meaning, you know, we get a chance to then, you know, address that in, mm. in maybe journaling or, or, or looking on a deeper level at that stuff why it keeps coming up yes yeah. it's an uh, incredible process you know to have the opportunity to have uh, to be living and practicing what you just said there as well about stories is really important because you know we are a creature that makes up stories and seeks meaning and you know if 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 something is meaningful you know we feel it you know we feel mm. that you know this is meaningful right I, you know i want to be here has got some kind of value to it and we, we, we also know when things have not got much value and not got much meaning. So, you know, we, we, we go to, we, we try to find meaning in things. And also we create stories. You know, we, I, I can create the most crazy stories in my head, you know. Um, and some of them are helpful and some of them are not. But if you haven't got the awareness, I, you know, once upon a time, I didn't have the awareness around stories that I created. And when we was working at the Violence Initiative, you know, a lot of the work that we did there with, um, the people that used to come to us was helping them to to tell a different story, yeah, from the one that they'd already been living, you know, because that's you know that story, and it, it doesn't turn out well. So let's create another story. And one of the people that has been really influential to me and really helpful is this psychiatrist called Bob Johnson. I met him through he uh, my my wife was working with this actor Matthew Skirfield, lo- lovely guy, and. He, he started to tell me about his cousin, Bob Johnson, and, and Bob's this extraordinary man. He was running a, a wing at Parkhurst in the 80s, and he had this most extraordinary uh, success with, all, you know, lifers working with murderers there. And Michael Howard, in his wisdom, closed it down because it was being so successful. They didn't want this. And Panorama made this documentary about him, and the government pulled it just before it went on air because right. it was just like, we don't want people seeing people changing and getting well. And it's been part of Bob's kind of vocation since then to help people to understand that, you know, e- even the people that do the most hyenas crimes can change, right, given the right environment. And I met him and I told him a little bit about my story. And he said to me, you know, I, I, I hear your story a lot. He said, but it's normally from people doing life sentences. Because I was talking to him about yeah. growing up yeah. in East End and fighting and violence. And it was one of the things that my granddad said to me when I was young. And at the time, you know, it sort of served me well. He said to me, if you get into a fight with someone, try and kill them. He said, because you won't, but they won't want to fight with you again, <laughs> right? And I was about eight or something like yeah. that. I was in primary school. And and because, you know, I idolised him, the next time someone picked on me, like, I really went for it, yeah. you know. And uh, this, this guy didn't pick on me anymore. But that stuck with me. And when I told him that story, he said, but that's the kind of idea that leads people to kill that's people. That's why people end up in here, yeah. 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 And, I, you know, I did meet a guy as well uh, who, who was told a similar thing by his, his father and then did end up, um, sadly, killing someone. Um, so, you know, th- these things, we might dismiss them, but, you know, putting things into people's heads, you have to be careful. They're powerful. You know these because they're stories, they're myths. It's like the yeah. hero's journey, and you know if you know d- defending your honor or your family's honor, and you know we see that the tragic consequences of that all the time. But ideas are powerful. But but Bob said that to me, and also he really helped me around um, my own breakdown, and because he, he doesn't treat people with medication, and when I had my breakdown, I was put on antipsychotics for a short period of time and antidepressants. I didn't like any of it and I, I took myself off of them. I had a most horrendous withdrawals and I was fitting and all stuff like that and I just, I just thought, you know, I'm, I know how to take drugs. I don't want to be taking prescribed mm. medications and, and Bob really helped me with that, being a psychiatrist and he's written a number of books about it and introduced me to this guy called Robert Whittaker who has, you know, been a long-time campaigner against um, 
the pharmaceutical industry. And it's not, it's not that I'm totally anti-psychiatry, but even someone like R.D. Lang, who's often called an anti-psychiatrist, he wasn't. What they're, what they're against a lot of these people are people being medicated rather than given the opportunity to tell their story. Because mm. once you understand people's stories, yeah. you can help them to have a context of why they might be going mad. Like, if, you know, my, my nan was... Because I thought, you know, when I was having my breakdown, maybe I'm schizophrenic, right? And I can remember saying to this psychiatrist, am I schizophrenic? And he said, no. And I said, well, why not? I'm, like, I'm having all these mad thoughts. And I can't remember his answer. But I, I was looking then to, to him as the authoritative doctor. And I, and I was so pleased that I wasn't labelled or diagnosed at that mm. point. Um, but I also can see now that if someone says to me, yeah, you're schizophrenic, it's like, well, what does that mean anyway? Like, there's not like there's this gene inside of my head that is a schizophrenic gene. With all mental illnesses, there is no... I'm not going to say there's not a genetic component because it is complicated. You know, psychological and mental health is to do with... You know, we talk about biopsychosocial. It is to do with your genes. But if you're looking inside someone's head, it's not like you're looking at someone's heart and you can see that there's a problem with their heart. Mm. There's, there's often not anything organic going on inside of people's brains where you can say, oh, yeah, you know, you are bipolar, you're schizophrenic, you know, you're an addict, right? It's, it just doesn't exist. But we give people medications, and all of these medications do really is sedate people. Like, that's yeah. it. They, you know, it's a blunt instrument. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't get you anywhere near what's really wrong with them. And Bob Johnson worked this out at Parkhurst because what he did he removed all of the medications on the wing. Like, so he went in there and said, like, you know, get rid of the meds. And he, you know, they tapered people off. But what, but what you had all of The screws were terrified, weren't they? The screws were terrified. Yeah. But also the, the, the prisoners that he were working with, all of a sudden they started to wake up, right? It's mm. just like, and it was terrifying because, you know, he, a couple of times he had his life threatened and, you know, it was like, it, it, for him, and he, he's written about this and made documentaries about it, it, it was very scary. Because what he was doing then was he was he was helping people to see that inside of them was a traumatized child. Right? It's like you're not a psychopath; you're a traumatized child. And um, he was really helpful for me. And, I'm, and and again, he's one of these people that I've met that has been a sort of mentor and has really helped me because I'm not a doctor. I don't know about pharmaceuticals, but I can say to people, look, read Bob's book or get in yeah. touch with him, and he will help you to understand that this thing that you are calling schizophrenia really is trauma and it's all it's yeah it's i mean it's so apparent to me that you know through my life and my journey that you know it all leads back to to them very early years or what's yeah. what's happened or how we perceive things what's been done to us and yeah yeah i think you know that's 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 what the book was about really that was about that journey to to go back and find you know what what wasn't there, what I couldn't be with, you know, yeah. uh, really powerful sort of stuff. It difficult really, journey though, difficult it, journey. It, it, it's a really difficult journey and it's slow. Like mm. you can't shortcut it, you know, no. because, because we can recognise, yeah, okay, there's, there's a part of me that's still a child, right? It's because, and it's a very real thing. But the idea that, you know, there is this child inside of us. You can visualise that. It can be helpful, but it's a very real thing because when, when our, our mind is being developed, those neural pathways, especially the early ones, they're very real. That's what makes us. But you can't get in there because it is a bit like, you know, it's, it's, it's like when we withdraw from a drug. If you do it too quick, you just fit or something, or a diver, if he comes up too quick, you'll get the bends. If you try to go too deep too quick, it'll be too overwhelming. Mm. The, the memories will stay frozen or it will be blocked because the child will run away type of thing. It will want to defend itself, to use that kind of metaphor. But also psychologically, the way that our, our brains are so clever, it will stop us getting to something because it would just be too scary or too overwhelming because mm. it doesn't understand that this is the present, it's not the past. Yeah. I, I, I remember a line that I, I wrote in that book and it was like that realisation where I'd, I'd realised that I'd engineered my whole life around not meeting that child or not yeah. being with that child. Yeah. You know, literally, yeah. unconsciously, a lot of it, sometimes consciously back yeah. earlier on. But certainly, you know, in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, whole, in a life of, of kind of success and 
marriage and, and all of that kind of stuff, you know, I was still engineering, mm. being around, uh, away from that, that child. It's so powerful, that recognition. It really is. And, you know, with, you mentioned about going to business meetings and, um, you know, turning up and then recognising as well that, you know, you was anxious or whatever. But those other people, you know, they've met you, right, turning up. Now, they've got the power to a certain degree because they can employ you to do the job or not, mm. right? But they've met someone different. It's like, you know, a foreign entity has walked into the room. You know, this guy, Stephen, who is he? He's got this accent, he cleans windows, but he's bright, you know, he can have a conversation. Um, and when I, you know, I, I'm so lucky with the, the work that I do because, you know, the, the, the fundamental thing about this, spoke about this earlier the psychotherapy is the confidentiality and you know um, it's really important to me that because if if you if you're with people and you can make them feel safe and know that they're not going to be attacked or humiliated or spoken about then they slowly start to trust you and you form an attachment with people and i work with you know lots of people from all different backgrounds but some of the people that i work with who are in positions of you know a lot of authority like you know mm. CEOs of companies or people that need to be seen in a certain way once they start to be um, vulnerable and trusting and open you know they'll talk about you know I often I haven't got a clue what I'm doing you know I'm just yeah. I'm, I'm this adult with a huge amount of responsibility but given the right circumstances you know if I'm triggered I'm a, I'm a child I'm lost you know mm. and thank goodness that I've got somewhere where I can go and talk to, you know, either to you or to someone else who I trust. And it's going to go, it's okay because you are that and you're this as well. You can be yeah. an adult, you can be responsible, but you also have a history. Once upon a time, you was a child. And, um, and, and it's okay to be vulnerable and to feel like that. I think that's, uh, yeah, just so important, isn't it? That, mm. you know, people come to understand that it's just okay to be them. It's okay to be them. Yeah. And yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's so, you see it so much where people deny certain parts of their, their selves and, mm. you know, trade away. I mean, mm. I made some terrible trades, yeah. you know, because it wasn't okay to be me. But, yeah. Yeah. you know, in adult life, it's been a process of, of, you know, reclaiming all of that stuff. All of the bits that wasn't okay to be me is now, I'm really pleased that it's me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> When, when I first started going to meetings, it was before smartphones, but it was the phone, I think it was like the one-to-one -one phone or something, you put a little card in it. Do you remember those blue yeah. sort of flip card things? And um, someone, um, uh, my, my friend Nick put, it, put in it, when I opened it up, there was a message which, all, which always said, be yourself, right? And I was just, well, be, like, what, what does that mean? Um, but it was a great thing, because I just thought, no, I can be myself. Right, but whatever that means at the yeah, time. Yeah, whatever it is at the time. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and now, you know, that, that's kind of stayed with me as well because I don't know, I can't, like, we can't be anyone else anyway, right? And I don't have to compete with people. I don't have to make out, I know things that I don't make out. And, and what that's really helped me with is that, you know, whenever I meet people, whoever they are, I'm no sort of better or no worse than, the, than them, Right. Because once you do get to know people, it's just like, well, we're all just trying to work out what this thing is. We're all, just, know, try, we're all just trying to work it out. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Harry, it's been fantastic talking to you. And, uh, and we've probably got a, at least a couple of episodes here. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, is there any, any, anything you want to put out there that, you know, you, the, the work that you're doing at the moment or, or you know, the... Uh, the kind of group stuff. Um, I don't. I don't think you are. You on social media? I don't know. Do you want no, I don't do any you social don't do media. All that sort no, of stuff, I've kept. Which I've, is nice. Yeah, I've kept away from it. I've, I've, yeah. I've, I'm. I'm really pleased that I am away from it, and I can see the the value of it as well. I don't do it. It's partly because I, you know, when I think when Twitter first started, I went on it for about a week, and it really connected into that addictive. Part yeah, of yeah. Me. And um, someone I know, a journalist I know, um, who was quite famous, you know tweeted something retweeted something i don't even really understand the language around it still and um <clears throat> like all of a sudden i could like i got loads of followers right and it was really like exciting like quite seductive but i just i, re I felt really uncomfortable with it mm. and i found myself keep looking at my phone and 
you know, I still look at my phone far too much now, but I'm really pleased that I came off of it after a week because I just, it, it, I felt like I was back into some kind of addiction. Yeah. And I didn't trust myself around it. So I've kept away from it and I'm, I'm pleased that I have kept away from it. But um, I can see the value of it. And, you know, with this thing I'm doing now, looking at life, you know, myself and Sophie have um, set up a, an Instagram account, but we, we did that months ago and we're still not been posting anything on it okay but, let but, us know but, what it is uh, yeah I, I will do because i know that you have to have some kind of um to do things like that and to do what you're doing there yeah. needs to be a place where people can find you absolutely yeah right yeah so i'll, I'll keep you up to date with that but um what I, any other thoughts you know wh one of the things that has really come up for me doing this having this conversation with you is just how important to, to have conversations, to be able to have conversations around mental health, around addiction. And there, there are lots of conversations taking place now around mental health, which never used to be the case. Mm. I think also it, it can be, there can be an overwhelm with it as well. I think a lot of it can be, you know, the language of uh, therapy and psychology now has become, you know, people talk often about being triggered or being depressed or being bipolar or whatever it might be. I think there is a, 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 a danger with that, that it can become quite commonplace and not being taken as seriously as it needs to be. Yeah, taken. I think words get overused, like words like God and things like that, yeah. you know. They just, yeah. Um, yeah, they've got all connotations and attachments to them. But Yeah, no, definitely. So, But I think what you're doing is so important because... Only you have had your journey, right? Like all of us. Mm. And, you know, you you said to me, you know, where I've come from and what I'm doing. And it's the same for you and the same for lots of other people. But I think there are some people who are just becoming conscious and are waking up and are just starting out on this journey, no matter what age in life. Because, I'm, you know, we meet people at all different stages in, in life that, that struggle. And, and struggling is part of the human condition as well. But to know that there are people like yourself doing this work, that there are 12-step fellowships, that there are films, books, podcasts, like, you know, Gabriel Maté has been a big influence on me. I don't know if you yeah, know his yeah. work. Bessel van der Kolk. You know, there are people now who are, you know, writing books, doing podcasts. Um, without, no, I think it is important to share. Like, there's a podcast I've been listening to called Blind Boy Podcast that I really like someone told me about that there are some of the things that he talks about that i disagree with mm -hmm. you know but it is a mental health really and culture podcast um there's these two guys called the two norries who are do a podcast very 12-step based like there's 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 lots of stuff out there now that i will point people towards and 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 say you know listen to these people have conversations with other people but like trust yourself as well. You know, you don't yeah. have to believe me. You don't have to believe Stephen, these other podcasts, Gab or Mate, but they are there to help you. Like you're not, yeah, you don't all, have to be on your own. We're doing it for a reason. And, and yeah. you mentioned that word struggle. And I think, you know, it's so really important that, you know, struggle is the strength. You know, if you're yeah. struggling, it's like yeah. you're changing. You're yeah. going through a process of change. Yeah. And it's you meet resistance, whether that's internal or external, but it's it's about getting through that process and that is you know, that's growth, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, people I think tend to want to steer away from struggle, but you know, without our struggles, where would we be? Yeah, if you don't struggle, you don't grow. We'd be probably sitting in Parkhurst on the light was we <laughs> Well, <laughs> I'm laughing because it's it's true. Yeah. You know, you know we've had to evolve and, and you yeah. evolve through struggle. Yeah, no, you do. Yeah, but no, I just, I, you know, I feel so grateful that you've invited me down here today to, uh, to have this conversation with you, and you know, I, I wish you a great success with it. I, you know, hopefully it will. I think it will. I think you've got a really important um, platform here, and um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's just a real privilege to have this conversation with you, Harry. Likewise, it's been absolutely marvelous and uh, great to see you. And just thanks for coming down and, you know, being on the Cockney Guide to Enlightenment, even with our accents, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, you know, just, just to end on that, it's yeah. like, 
that is my approach to it. You know, this yeah. is, I haven't got all these fantastic words and yeah. I haven't done all this studying, but this is just an, an every, every day sort of approach to dealing with the things in life that we yeah. come up against. And, yeah. and what a wonderful conversation to have with you to go through all of that. Yeah. Harry, lots of love, mate. Same to you, Thank Steve. You. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Copy Guide to Enlightenment with me, Stephen Rosen. Thanks for your time and please don't forget to share this episode with friends. Uh, press the follow button and you can connect with me at Copy Profit on social media. It's been great to have your company. Take care and I look forward to you joining us for the next enlightening conversation. Cheers.